Welcome to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast, where not quite fitting into the religious status quo is a good thing. Slick church trends deceive us. Denominational traditions can blind us. But truth from the heart of God always transforms us. And now, here's our host, a self-proclaimed ministry maverick and church misfit, Jeff Lyle. Welcome back, friends, to Mavericks and Misfits. I get to be your host, Jeff Lyle. Grateful that you've tuned in. I mean it. Thank you that uh, you could be doing anything right now, but you're going to take a few minutes and let me have the privilege of speaking into your life if you're new to the Mavericks and Misfits podcast. Um, The title says it all. We are a group of people who maybe according to mainstream Christianity or boxed in Christianity or highly denominational Christianity, we might come off a little bit like Mavericks because we buck the system where it needs to be bucked. Um, And due to that, we could consider ourselves misfits because we sometimes do not fit in to the, um, especially where I am in the Bible Belt. Uh, I'm in metro Atlanta, Georgia, and we are right in the buckle of the Bible Belt and uh, don't always fit in to your standardized Bible Belt status quo Christianity. And so that tends to make us misfits. But please don't send me flowers because I feel great about all that. I don't feel sorry for myself. I'm happy. I love initiating uh, challenging thought. And if you are a regular listener to Mavericks and Misfits, um, I hope that um, it's not just another podcast for you that feeds your um, already concluded theology, your already concluded philosophy, your already minds made up uh, view of the kingdom. I hope that it's challenging because if I'm not challenging you, I'm really not doing what I'm supposed to do. We got enough people that tell us uh, what we are already inclined to hear and believe. And um, you know, I, I don't mind reinforcing things that people believe and if they're properly held beliefs, but Man, I need people in my life to challenge me. I need I need folks that will occasionally just say, mm, you might want to check yourself on that, Jeff. You might want to dig a little bit deeper into the scriptures or you might want to really uh, get the voice of the Holy Spirit on that because um, that, may be a, that may be a sacred cow. I was telling the church on Sunday in a message that I was preaching that um, in the book of 2 Chronicles 32, when the enemy was coming in, he was accusing um, uh, the king of Israel for tearing down the altars of God. But what's interesting is Hezekiah had not been tearing down the altars of God. He had been tearing down the false altars that had been in the land so long that people equated them with the altar of God. So literally the thought that came to me, I really felt like it was a a spiritual deposit from on high. Uh, The Lord just spoke to me and said, Jeff, there are so many religious altars in the church today and have been around so long that when reformers or a new generation comes in to tip those sacred cows to knock over those false altars, people think that they're actually knocking over the altars of God because these false altars of tradition or philosophy or humanism, they've been erected so long standing next to the true altars of faith that they they feel like valid altars. Does that make sense? And so I, I just feel like, you know, part of my calling is to to challenge I don't want to be a punk about it, but I do want to challenge. And I, I love uh, what I love about young millennials and Gen Z is they want to challenge too. And I hope I can be a slight voice of seasoned kingdom maturity in their in their lives, so that they're not just running around as a bunch of obnoxious twenty somethings, you know, protesting everything they can't stand. You got to have some maturity on it. You got to have some wisdom on it, and you got to you got to learn to live. That some people. Are just going to be wrong about some stuff, and you can't take it personally. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about revival lately. 
I mention this every now and then on the broadcast that Amy and I go up to Dawsonville, Georgia, just about every Sunday night after our our time in our home church and Winder is done. We head about 45 minutes north of our home and we go to Dawsonville, Georgia, where the North Georgia revival has been going on for over three years. Um, you can look it up um, on Facebook or YouTube or wherever you look stuff up. Um, there's documented physical healings. There have been miracles. I've seen a couple with my own eyes. And, um, you know, I've pressed in up there for my own breakthroughs in my body. I, I had cancer and, um, you know, was really, really hoping God would heal me and I didn't have to do any kind of chemo or radiation. That didn't work out that way. We can talk about that on a different episode. But I ended up having the surgery and the chemo. And in the backside of the chemo, um, I got this. Uh, it's, a, it's just kind of a, a symptom that derives sometimes from certain types of chemotherapy. Um, and my, my fingertips, my hands will grow ice, ice cold, numb. They change color from blue to yellow and then they hurt. It feels like needles going into your, into your digits. And, um, I've been living with that just kind of quietly. My wife and I've been praying about it. A couple of people were close to for a year and over the past month or so, it's, it just got terrible. I mean, it just was really, really distracting. I couldn't sleep. It was make, waking me up three or four times in the night. And uh, I just finally got to the place where I was just fed up and I humbled myself and I was like, I don't care who knows that the guy that believes in healing is in need of healing. Um, and so I just, I shared at a public prayer group after getting, uh, going up to uh, the revival and getting some of the waters from the baptism, getting it on a rag and just soaking my hands in it and then asking for a prayer. And two days later, my, my, uh, all of my symptoms were gone. My hands were perfectly healed. God had touched me. Um, he had done it through a long process of me praying and waiting, fasting at times, nothing happening, nothing happening, nothing happening, but just pressing in and then remaining connected with what he's doing at the North George revival. And then doing something that really goes against my intellect and my sense of reason, um, taking the waters of the baptistries up there where so many people have been healed and putting them on a, just a normal dishcloth and wrapping my hands in them a few times over a couple, a couple of weeks period and then trusting God with it. And uh, lo and behold, uh, God in his providence has healed me. And um, I thought to myself, you know, I'm tasting of that, that move of God in North Georgia, the North Georgia revival. It's very, very important to me to never um, make it about a place. Pastors Todd and Karen Smith at Christ Fellowship Church in Dawsonville, where the revival has been taking place, would never want it to be about them. Um, the worship team up there would never want it to be about them. The altar ministry up there would never want it to be about them. Marty, the baptizer, pastor Marty Derricott, who's baptized 20 something thousand people in the past three years would never, ever want it to be about him. It's got to remain about Jesus Christ, the power and the atonement, the healing touch of the Holy spirit and the, the wisdom of God to declare when and how and where he wants to release this kind of, um, unique elevated manifestation of the gift of healing. And so when that's happening in a, uh, a central location over a sustained time, we recognize God has sent revival. You know, I grew up, um, spiritually speaking as a Baptist and I love my Baptist background. Please never believe that, uh, because I'm no longer considered a Baptist that I, I hold grudges. I just, I'll just tell you straight up, I still believe 95% of what I've learned as a Baptist. I just believe, denominationally speaking, the Baptists get it wrong on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit in a lot of places. And so I no longer could, with a theologically good conscience, remain 
part of the Baptist denomination, but I, I love my Baptist friends. But we used to have in the Baptist church revival week. We do it two times a year, usually the spring and in the fall. And uh, what, what <laughs> revival would go on the calendar. So we'd be announcing revival is on the calendar. <laughs> when we'd put it, we'd say revival is, revival week is this week or that week, you know. And so it was you know, just part of the culture of being a, a, a denominational dude. But I had a friend in England. Uh, David Price, um, he's about 10 years older than me, uh, maybe a little older, maybe 15 years older. And he's in England. He's an elder of Reformed Baptist Church. And he uh, somehow he became aware in England that we had posted we were going to have a revival. And he just wrote me, he goes, how do you know? <laughs> how, do, how do you know you're going to have a revival? What I thought God sent revival, Jeff. What do you mean? And he politely requested that I clarify what I meant by using the term revival. And I ended up stumbling through my response. I was seeking to explain to him how, you know, we were bringing in a guest preacher to preach a series of sermons. And, you know, these types of meetings were typically called revivals here in, you know, the southern United States. And David, my friend in England, he's well trained in doctrine. And he's equally tempered in his manners. He allowed just enough curiosity in our back and forth exchange to help me realize that declaring a revival before it actually arrived might be a wee bit presumptuous. And uh, I think I recall him saying something to the effect of, well, I shall pray that the meetings live up to their name. <laughs> that actually sounded more Irish than English, but um, David is always the gentleman. And he was, in that case, a, a, just a, a tool in the hand of God. And he, he, he brought me up a little bit on this thing. So here's the lesson learned. No human being has ever scheduled a true revival. <laughs> if someone schedules a revival, then bank on it. it. It never arrived. So revivals aren't scheduled by us. They're sent by God. And so I know that the church is praying for a revival. I've been, I've been actively pressing into the Lord for well over a decade for a revival. When my mind just got enlightened to what God wanted to do, what I read in scriptures, I realized um, most of what we see in Christendom in America anyway, is woefully inadequate, painfully short of what Jesus Christ died to purchase for us. Uh, we call enthusiastic church meetings revival. We call, you know, great attendance revival. We call big offerings revival. We put an eloquent speaker on the pulpit and he wows us or she wows us with their speech and we call that revival. Or we call the tinglies, you know, revival. Or even, you know, just, you know, maybe somebody in the charismatic world, you know, um, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit happen on a high level, you know, during the course of, you know, a couple of hours on a Sunday morning. We say, oh, revival has come. Guys, I really want us to think about revival, and especially if you're younger, because if you're content to live without revival, you will. Do you hear me? If you're content to live without revival, you will. And if I'm content to be a pastor who uh, leads a church outside of the context of revival, well, I'll be doing that. In 10 years, you can check back in. There still won't be revival if I'm content to just do status quo stuff. And so we say we want revival, but we actually want it on our terms. I don't think we think about it. We're praying, send revival, Lord, Lord, send revival, send the fire, send revival. Um, I think, you know, this is going to sound a little cynical, but just I'm asking you to consider whether or not it's true. We're like, come Holy Spirit, but only if you promised in advance to do what we've always done and keep things normal in our church, but we want you to come squeeze yourself into the box we've set up or come Holy Spirit, but make sure I have a little bit of prior guarantee that when you show up, you won't embarrass me. Don't, don't embarrass our church. Don't do anything weird. 
Uh, Holy Spirit, you know, just please tell us ahead. We want you to come. We want revival. But please make sure you sign off on our version of revival. Or we want revival, but, you know, only if we, the leaders, can still remain in control. And we want a revival that will still preserve perfectly intact the traditions with which I'm comfortable. Uh, Holy Spirit, we want your work of revival to hit our region, but really only if it's nice and neat and tidy and dignified and please, Holy Spirit. It needs to be understandable and manageable, and above everything else, it needs to be socially acceptable. Holy Spirit, send revival, but please make it fit into a very dignified American acceptance of what um, high-volume Holy Spirit activity looks like. (laughs) Holy Spirit, bring revival and change all those other people. And when you change them, change them to make them be more like me. So convict their hearts so they'll live and worship and study and dress and talk like I do. That's what revival is. When revival comes, people are going to think like I think. (laughs) Am I hitting anything? Is that landing with any of you? Or maybe we say, come Holy Spirit, but only if you let us preserve our distinctives and retain our differences from others whom we find offensive. Holy Spirit, come to my denomination. Holy Spirit, come to my church. Holy Spirit, show all all these other people that you are honoring who we are, what we say, how we sing, what we worship, when we pray. Do all of those things, Holy Spirit, and let that be revival. And the Holy Spirit, being God, looks at us and says, oh, You want to control me, so I'm sorry you're not qualified for revival. When you're ready to surrender to me, that's where we can begin. So let me just ask, do we truly desire God-ordained, God-sustained, God-purposed revival? Do we? I think if God sends it, you and I and our churches are going to be so startled that the event itself would most likely usher most churches into glory via a corporate heart attack. If a true Holy Spirit glory descended and sustained in the place where you worship and you serve, most people would probably die of a heart attack because it would look so absolutely different than anything we've ever associated with revival. Listen, I think the as a matter of fact, I'm going to strengthen that. It's not I think. The closest thing I have ever seen to the outpouring I'm longing for is what has been sustained for three years in Dawsonville. And I tell you, the leaders up there, they, I mean, it's bathed in prayer. They pray five times a week, corporate prayer meetings five times a week. They pray an hour prior to every Sunday night service where the Lord seems pleased to pour out. It's spreading into their Sunday morning services and all of that's good. Healings, addictions broken, uh, literally limbs that have grown back, um, eye that has been opened, ears that have been opened. Um, there has, there's been demonic deliverances. I mean, it's, it's genuine. It's real. But I guarantee you, if you, if you got all of the leaders, Pastor Todd, Pastor Karen, Pastor Marty, some of the guys that preach up there, if you got them into a room together, they would say, this is nothing compared to what God wants to release. It's just so startling because it is so much higher level than what's happening pretty much anywhere else in, in churches in our region. And so we want more. It's a foretaste. It's a foretaste. It's not the fullness. It's awesome. And I thank God for it. I mean, literally, 
I thank God for it. But it's a foretaste. Um, it's the only place where I have been where there has been an, a sustained revival setting. And, um, you know, that's not to say that I've not been in Holy Spirit moments, my personal self and my family and the churches that I've associated with, the two that I've pastored. I've been deeply moved in my heart, my mind. I've been witness over the you know 27 years I've been saved for to mighty works of God. I've seen and experienced all those things and more. But I've seen them in trickle form, not over the banks flooding. I've seen them trickle in and then they trickle out. The revival I'm praying for is out of bounds, over the banks, impossible to explain, impossible to control, um, beyond understanding revival. And so what I'm suggesting today is that we think about what we're praying for when we are, you know, almost flippantly, maybe naively, we're petitioning God to send revival to our hearts we're saying, God, send revival to our churches, send revival to our entire nation. But let me just say this. What if he does send it? And what if it results in us becoming convicted of deep, deep spiritual need of repentance? Repentance connected to works of repentance. Changing. Um, leaders having to give up control of ministries. Having to humble themselves having to be willing to lose their ministries. When we talk about revival, God's not content to come in and share the spotlight. And he is not obligated to come in and squeeze it into what you and I may have spent years establishing as the format or the platform for how we give expression to his kingdom. I mean, look, if he sends revival, he might tell you to go and sell one of the three cars you have and give the proceeds away to some endeavor in the kingdom that maybe we've never heard of. He can do that. Uh, <laughs> for all my reserved and dignified friends, if the Holy Spirit comes in fullness, guess what that means? One of the components of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Celebratory jubilation in the Spirit. And for my conservative friends, I know in your gut you want revival, but what if he says the revival I am going to send is going to have you do an unabashed holy dance during the middle of a business quarterly church conference? <laughs> and what if he makes such a spectacle of our pride and our dignity that we get a case of the can't help it and our joy exceeds our ability to suppress that joy? Do you still want revival? What if nobody else in the room gets it, but it hits you? Do you still want revival? Because it's going to make you look weird. You see what I'm saying? I'm challenging us because we sing stuff and we say stuff and we, we envision it. Uh, and I'm talking about revival. We envision it landing in a way that we're, we're prone to easily stay in rhythm with and to, to enjoy as if it's just like a sprinkle of sugar on something already good that we're, we've got on our plate. God doesn't want to dust your religion with the powdered sugar of a revival. Kaboom. 
Somebody tweet that. God doesn't want to dust your religion with a powdered sugar of revival. He wants to throw out your religious dessert. He wants to put a plate of, a plate of revival meat on it and throw some hot sauce on that thing that will flame you up. I mean, God, if he wants to, he could, he could. He could possibly whisper to the emotionally expressive to learn how to enjoy silent worship. With his head, with their heads lowered and their their bodies still. Do you get what I'm saying? You know, we think revival. It's always going to be the joy Jeff just talked about. It's always going to be the popping scene. Well, maybe revival will come to a church that is just like massively expressive, but the fear and the presence of God will rest so heavily on that church that they won't be able to say a word. That they'll just be stunned in silence with maybe tears streaming down, their head lowered, their body still, maybe laying prostrate on their face and nobody moving and nobody making a sound. Why am I, why am I doing this? Why am I taking you to these extremes? Because I, what I want to reinforce to all of us is when revival comes, everybody gets leveled. Your natural ways get leveled. Your religious presumption gets eviscerated. Your inclination to do things the way that you've always done them and the presumption that God's going to honor that in the midst of revival, it gets blown away. Because when, when the wind of the Spirit comes at full gale force, it blows away everything. And we're, you know, we're crying out. We're doing this, guys. We're crying out in our songs and our prayers and our sermons. And listen, I'm not pointing the finger. I'm, I've done this too. But we're asking God to send this thing called revival, but we're, we're assuming that we're still going to be able to keep our hands on it. And we're not. The revival that I want is going to jack up everything. It's going to mess up churches the way that they are. I mean, it really will. We'll have to, I mean, it'll be in, in a sense when it comes, there'll be a little bit of mayhem on it. So, well, Jeff, God is not the author of confusion. Well, here's the thing. He is willing to confuse us about what we think we know if we're not knowing the thing he wants us to know. So in other words, if we think we've got it figured out, God will blow that up and it will confuse us. He won't leave us that way because then he'll show us what he wants. So yes, brethren, God reserves the right to change your normal mode of worship, your normal mode of ministry, your normal expression of Christianity. He's, he's got the right to change it if he deems it fitting. I mean, think about this. When we're praying for a revival, what if your kids or your spouse got so owned by the Spirit of God that the dynamics of your daily living get impacted in your home? <laughs> what if your kids get filled with the Holy Spirit and they start calling out the hypocrisy in your life? Or your spouse gets touched by God and becomes a different person overnight? Have you thought about that? Because you're praying for a revival, right? You're singing for a revival. What if single people that are praying for a revival, what if your boyfriend, or your girlfriend gets hit by the Holy Spirit and revival comes and they refuse to let you touch them anymore? No kissing, no making out, no sleeping with each other because they're not going to do this church on Sunday while they're in the bed with you on Saturday. How about that? You know, you want revival, but I'm going to tell you, it, it will absolutely intensify your commitment to biblical morality and if revival hits your boyfriend or girlfriend and it doesn't hit you be prepared for that relationship to go just into the dust because somebody gets hit with revival won't be able to do the things that they've been doing in their flesh 
I think about this. If, if you're praying for a revival, God, God might just up and relocate you to the opposite end of the country, send you to a city that you've never heard of, get you connected to a ministry. You know, we think of revival and God's going to elevate, elevate, elevate. Everything's going to get bigger. Everything's going to get brighter. Everything's going to get more awesomer. Well, what if God sends revival and in the midst of that revival, he sends you to a no-name town to do a work for his glory and takes you completely out of your platform and your spotlight? Do you ever consider that? Philip had to. Philip was in the midst of a massive revival in Samaria, and God said, get up and leave this revival because there's a man, um, an Ethiopian eunuch, a servant of Candace who needs the gospel, and literally God picks Philip up out of a revival, puts him on the desert highway so he could lead one man to Christ. Right in the middle of a revival that, that Philip was actually leading. And God said, time to go, Philip. There's a dude out there in the middle of nowhere who needs you. What if God did that to you? What if God says, I want you to lay down your ministry right now. Everything you've poured into, everything that you've expected, everything you've dreamed about, everything that you worked hard for. Trust me, I've got somebody else I'm going to give it to. They're going to take it to the next place where I want them to take it. But you, I'm moving you. I mean, does that sound like revival to you? Well, if it's God's will and it's God's best, then it's going to be classified as something that maybe your flesh doesn't receive as revival, but maybe it's a key component in your journey towards revival. So I would just say this. I'm, I'm running out of time. Revival's recognized when, when we, when God's people, hear me on this, when we take the Lord off the imaginary leash that we've been leading him with in our minds. Revival won't happen until you lay down that leash that you think you're leading God on in the imagination of your minds. Because when, when our surrender intersects with God's sovereign timeline, no force in hell is going to frustrate the manifestation of God's presence. You know, Jesus once said to a couple of his followers, it was James and John and their mama. He said, uh, you, you don't know what you're asking. Do you remember they were asking him to sit at his right hand in glory? Jesus said, you, you don't know what you're asking. And guys, I just want to suggest that maybe, maybe Jesus is saying that to the church right now when we're mindlessly asking for our version of revival. I don't know all of the dynamics of a true heaven-sent revival, but I, I know one characteristic of it that is absolutely for certain. You and I are not going to be in control when revival happens. Bottom line. You still want it? You should take your time before answering because you and I, church leaders, followers, missionaries, worship leaders, pastors, business people, husbands, wives, children, grandparents, we are singing praying, fasting, you know, all, we got all the verbiage down right. Give us revival, God. Send the fire. But I want you to know when it happens, the bottom line is you will not be in control. I will not be in control. Revival centers God as the holy, almighty authority who controls it all. So revival equals a surrender of your life, my life, your plans, my plans, our ways, our presumptions, our ministries, our finances, our bodies, all of it. Send revival. You won't be in control when it happens. 
you still want it? So I, I'm serious. Take your time before answering. Those are my thoughts today. I appreciate you guys turning, uh, turning in to Mavericks and Misfits. Um, if you'll remember, Mavericks and Misfits is my podcast, and it's underneath the umbrella of the Transforming Truth Ministry. Um, if you've never been to transformingtruth.org, that's our umbrella website. Go to transformingtruth.org. Um, pretty much everything that I put out is there on that website. Or if you want it on your mobile device, you can get the Transforming Truth app. And it's all free. We don't charge anything for anything. I never ask for you to donate. Um, if you ever do want to support the ministry, do it by buying a copy of my book, Figuring Out As I Go. That helps me. It helps our ministry. But uh, if you never do that, nobody ever does that, I'm still going to do what I do. I want to tell you that what we've been living in is so beneath what Jesus died for. Don't be condemned by that. Be motivated by that. Be hungry by that. And don't stop praying for revival. That's not the point of this broadcast. The, the podcast today is to tell you, no, pray wisely for revival. But your hands better be open because when he sends it, everything is going to change. All right. We will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's Mavericks and Misfits podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review Mavericks and Misfits with Jeff Lyle on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps us reach more people and spread the unfiltered message of Jesus. And don't forget you can connect with Jeff's social media links at maverickmisfit.com. We look forward to reconnecting with you on our next episode.